0: Thank you, Tom. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm so glad to be with you this morning um, as we continue in this series called Summer Shorts Small Books, Big Questions. Today we'll look at actually three small books, first, second, and third John. Next week we'll be moving to the book of Jude. Uh, These have been uh, interesting, challenging books around questions. Today the question is what is our purpose for existing as a church? Just this tiny little question we're going to look at here in the next 30-some minutes. What is our purpose for existing as a church? I want to say just before I pray and we'll begin, uh, last week, if you missed it, I was able to preach on the book of Philemon, an incredible book in the New Testament, uh, written in 55 AD, uh, saying that because of the gospel that we're more than... Uh, racial distinctions. And the gospel cuts across every distinction to say we're reconciled by our fellowship in Christ. And so if you were here and missed it, Onesimus was a slave, came to faith, sent back to his slave owner Philemon. And Paul writes, I know what you're going to do because of the gospel. The the gospel calls us to, to be reconciled. I know there's been much discussion this week around race on Facebook and other places about silence, about voicing up Uh, about speaking louder, there's worries we're speaking too much, there's um, much fragmentation. Uh, Let me just say this, this church has been talking about race uh, a lot for the last year, and we will continue to do so because the gospel asks us to, because the book of uh, of Philemon, other places we read about, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, we are called to be reconciled one to another along social economic uh, platforms, a long race we are called to be reconciling all people to the cross, and uh, we will continue that conversation October second some five weeks from now. dr. Brenda Salter McNeil will do an all church address around what 's called the roadmap to reconciliation she 's a, a world famous uh, African American speaker from seattle she 'll be addressing all of Bethany in the evening, and then we will do a second hour by location. What does this mean at north? What does this mean at Green Lake or on the east side? So we kind of continue to take the next step about being reconcilers. So I know there's been much discussion about race. We see it. We're part of it. We've been part of it for a long time. We will continue to talk about all the things plaguing our country. Uh, Today we get to talk about 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and talk about this question of why do we exist as a church and what is our center point. And my hope is it adds even more clarity to the discussion of race Discussing on the environment, discussion on homelessness and addiction and sexuality and all the other conversations we're having. All We need to first answer the question, what is our center point as a church? So you pray with me and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. We pray, Jesus, that you would align our hearts to yours. Pray that you'd open us up to hear the truth of your scriptures and that uh, you would engage us, strengthen, encourage, equip edify, challenge, tear down strongholds. Lord, we want to be more like you. And so do the work that you long to do in our lives now. And all God's people said, amen. First, second, third John, summer short series. The title today, Get Walking. Around a question, why do we exist as a church? What is our center point? Get walking. Walking is this consistent metaphor in first, second, third John. Walk in the light walk in the truth, walk in commands, and we're going to be talking about that. By way of illustration, let me start with just a story from my own life. Last week, my family came back for the last time from our our fishing business in Canada. It's a long story if you're not familiar with it, but uh, it was a very emotional couple of days as we closed down the business. We ran a salmon fishing business in Canada that was uh, lucrative and enjoyable, and some years ago, God called me and my family to come and build the church, This church. And so we sold the business, though that took a long time, because oftentimes our timing and God's timing aren't in perfect alignment. We sold the business so that we'd be fully committed to building a church. Who does that? Well, we do when we feel like God has called us to do something. Because God has called me and my family with me to make the church relevant in our lives. To make the church powerful in this community. That the church is actually the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ into our communities. It's crazy. Really? Us. No way. We're not qualified. We're not strong enough. We're not. No, but God says, yeah, but you'll be my mouthpiece. The church has to matter to be reconciling agents, to be professing the truth of Jesus Christ. So we're up in Canada on the property for our last few days. Days deeply imbued with meaning because it's our last trip in Canada. And I was taking my son for kind of a last fishing at dawn on our very last day. The vehicle is packed. We'll be leaving at noon. We head out at dawn. We go walking down the pier and it's thick fog, thick, thick fog you can't see more than a hundred meters and all the other boats in the fleet are equipped with state-of-the-art you know gps and radar you can see what's around you really you could just drive following this little screen not my boat like as the leader i I equip everyone else and i've got this you know kind of the old boat we have a compass and we have an old outdated gps no radar and no depth sounder and as we're heading out into the fog I, i flip on a light switch and the fuse dies i had now no electronics but we do have a compass And so this is what it looks like inside the boat as we're heading into the fog. It's dawn, there is thick fog, and then inside the windshield we're fogging up again, to which my 11-year-old son, keep in mind, this is going to be a day of deep meaning, and I'm just like, man, we're going to go experiencing. And he says, hey, Dad, can I drive? I'm like, "Um, right now, like, you can't see anything. And everything in me kind of wanted to pull, you know, that ability from him to drive away because I wanted to control it. But no, I knew, like, I want this day to be about him continuing to grow in his experience of the area, and as, as, a, as a seaman, as an outdoorsman, as someone adventuring in, in the wild. And so I said, yeah, son, you can, you can drive. And so what are we going to do? We have no electronics. We're heading across the shipping lane. There's a good bite at Flower Island. The safe move is fish close to home. But man, when the fish were biting down, like, no, we're going to head across the shipping lane. No radar, no electronics, just a compass. I said, trust me, I've done this my whole life. I know, I know what we're doing. But he said, yeah, but I'm driving, not you. And I said, good point. But, you know, I was right with him. I was behind him. This was definitely not a time where I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be in the back. Good luck. No, no. I'm right with you, son. I'm behind you. And his hands are on the wheel. And he's trying to look into the fog. And he's looking at his compass. And he says, it's not working. It's not working. The compass keeps moving. And I'm trying to keep it straight and it keeps moving. And I could tell through the fog we're, we're deviating a great deal. And he says, I'm trying to hold it straight and the compass keeps moving. And if any of you have, have piloted a boat in the fog, you know exactly that feeling where you swear you're going straight, but the compass is, is moving around. And he's starting to get frustrated. He's starting to be feel fearful. He says, I don't understand what you're expecting me to do. And I said, Son, follow the compass. You got to follow the compass. I'm gonna keep an eye out, and our nav lights are on. We're gonna be okay, but you gotta follow the compass because the compass never moves. He says it's impossible; it's moving nonstop. I said it's us that's moving. He said, "Oh, okay. So if I just continue to just watch the needle and know it's it's heading north, and we're trying to head northwest to hit this island, we can't go wrong." Because the compass never moves. Like, all right tell us something we don't know. But it's remarkable when you're traveling because you're certain that it is the compass moving because we often feel like the center of our own navigational journey. We often feel like we know what we're doing. We often feel like we know the right answer to the question. We know what the church needs to be about right now. We know, is the church going to be about you know love or truth? Like We know, but I'm telling you, friends... For, for 2,000 years, Jesus Christ, the rock, is the compass. And he's constantly calling us to, to align to him, and he doesn't move. He calls us to, to, to understand our lives in context of his life. And though we're off chasing different opportunities or different issues or different you know, kind of crises, we're like, well, what should we do? And Jesus says, I want you to be about me first. Now, as we segue into today's text, this is really, really, really powerful for the church in this day and age. What is the reason the church exists? For one reason, because of Jesus Christ, to give praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the center of the compass. And people say, well, that's all fine and good. But I want to know, is this going to be a love church or not? I mean, you read 1 John, you know, walk in love. We should be a love church. Like, everybody in, everybody's accepted. You know, every, you know we have different ways of reading the scriptures, so we're not going to actually do a lot of formation. It's got to be about love or nothing else. It's got to be acceptance about, no, are we going to actually preach the gospel and love people well? Like, that's the truth. And, and then I have other friends like, no, no, no. If you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it says, obey my commands. Are we going to be uh, an obey my commands church? And preach the Bible the way it's intended to be taught and kind of challenge people's behavior. It's not about love. It's about obedience. And friends, we've created a false dichotomy, a false separation between being loving or being obedient because in the Bible, they're the same and there is a name and his name is Jesus Christ, fully love. Fully incarnated God who re- relented of his life in order to serve the Father. Fully loved and yet fully obedient to what God wanted to do with him. And would speak hard words and call out injustice. Because when we see unfettered love, it's like no rules, no regulations. Hang out with me some morning at the junction. You know that love without obedience, without any kind of context, without any self-control is destructive. And all obedience isn't, isn't freedom at all. It's not relationship. It's just creating a robotic program. Now, Jesus has called his church to be fully love and yet fully obedient to his commands. It feels impossible on our own. And Jesus says, exactly. I am your true north. I am your compass. Yes, engage the issue of the day. But what's the issue of the day? Well, it's, it's homelessness. Are you kidding? It's got to be homelessness. Have you walked around down downtown Seattle? Homelessness coupled with the rise of heroin in our community. That has to be the issue. How is the church not more active in the issue of homelessness? Or the issue of race? Are you kidding? Like, have you read Facebook in the last week? Everyone's saying what we should do. Like, that has to be the issue. And other people, it's like, no, it's sexuality. And other people, no, no it's obedience to the commands. No, it's other people, it's, it's the scriptures. It's, everybody has like a truth that they want the church to be about. And Jesus says, it is my church. I am the true north. I am the compass. Yes, care about the issue of the day. but Be engaged, but know that everything happens through me as the filter. I'll be your true north. And if you as a church are off chasing the issue of the day, Jesus says, you run the risk of missing me. Fully love Fully obedient to the commands, as we teach First, Second, and Third John, that we've created this false dichotomy. But in the person of Christ, we have both fully love and full obedience, and it's here today in First, Second, and Third John. And so, in these three little letters, I want to give you the essence that today's the message. The the, the essence of of the 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 question: Why do we exist? The answer is for Jesus' sake. That we are called to be Jesus people. We're called to be a Jesus church. That yes, we're a Jesus church and that's why we care about homelessness. Yes, we're a Jesus church and that's why we're talking about race. Yes, we're a Jesus church and that's why we call people to obey the scriptures. Yes, we're a Jesus church and so we always preach the Bible and we're constantly talking about sanctification in our faith. You were justified when you received Jesus Christ but the rest of your life you're being sanctified, releasing more and more of your spirit. Can we just talk about that? Yeah, we're going to talk about it all. But all of it flows from the filter of Christ himself. And so in the essence of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is the essence of Christ himself. And John seeks to invoke this total devotion to the centrality of Christ. Because if our eyes are off Jesus, we start to drift. We start to drift. Our true north, Jesus Christ, it is our witness. Today we'll look at 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Let's look at 1st John. The vision of truth and love as given to us as First John. Oftentimes, people ask, hey, Scott, "I just got to. I want to. I want to get into the scriptures. I want the scriptures to sing." You know, sometimes I hear you teaching, or I hear other people's teaching, and, and they sing. But then I open it myself, and I, I feel confused. So where should I start? It's nuanced answer. If you're an action person, you just want to get into the life of Jesus. Read read Mark, because how many times does he have that phrase? As soon as, as soon as. Mark's the just action gospel. Short. Focused. It's all about Jesus, or no? If you want, you know, kind of theology and how Jesus was kind of the the promised revelation of history and the line of David. Read Matthew. If you kind of want more history and you like how facts hang together, then read the book of Luke, who was you know the physician, and then read Acts about the story of the early church. If you like words and metaphor and imagery, read the book of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all the more, you know. Left brain people are like I, don't, I, I love it, and the right brain people are like I don't get it. You know, so there's all these different books that can just kind of focus on where you want to begin. But if you want to be reminded of the great love story of Jesus, for you read John, read First John, because First John, the disciple who Jesus loves, tells the story that you are anchored in God's love, that you are fully anchored in God's love. Look at it with me. Hopefully, you brought your Bibles. First John, verses one through seven, chapter one. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched. Four different kind of, you know, tactile senses. John's like, we really saw him. This isn't just a, 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 something we've thought of. We actually saw Jesus. We heard him. We saw him. We touched him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So even from the beginning, we get a little bit metaphorical, but John's saying, This is all about Jesus Christ. It really is. It's not about a religion, it's not about rules, it's not even about the history of the prophecy. It's got to begin with Jesus Christ, because we saw him and touched him, and we, we hung with him. John's saying, like, we know this to be true, and if you have fellowship with us, then you will know it to be true as well. He uses that fellowship word koine twice. And that we are called to have this kind of robust faith that's both vertical, where we have some sort of connection to God, and it's horizontal. We have fellowship one to another. It is an idol that you would somehow don't exist in Christian community. And it it is a sin of our generation that we're raising kids, We're, we're trying to do it outside of the church. And by church, I mean a fellowship community. That's, that's my young life leaders. That's, we study the Bible together. I'm held in community. That's, that's a, a group of, of women that gather around the Bible, or it's a gathered community on Sunday morning. You need fellowship. You do not walk alone. They're like, oh, you don't understand. Like, I'm kind of over church because, you know, like I go skiing and I see Jesus in the trees and it's good. And, you know, but no, we don't do it on our own from the beginning. We see Christ and we have fellowship with him through one another. We have to have our own touch point with Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and it's been a while, your prayer needs to be simply this. Jesus, I I need to experience you again. I I need a little touch. I need a little taste. I need to hear your word. It's been too long. And might you expect that he would grant you the gift of his presence? And then once we have that fellowship, we are called to be in relationship one to another. We're shaping each other. We're held accountable one to another. And this last week, we, we have people that we love great, a great deal that have gone through a, a, a hard thing in their life. And they've lost each other. They've lost community. And so we're, we're just mindful that we need each other. Like that's how it was been from the beginning. And we're anchored in that. We're anchored in his love. The book of Hebrews says that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. That it literally, no matter where we drift, we have a center point. It's Jesus Christ. And we'll never drift too far. I don't know if you've ever set an anchor. But if you've ever set an anchor, you understand that when you anchor something, you've you, you, know, you got to throw it in. You've got to get a little bite. And it makes connection. And then once you're anchored, it's, you're, you're good. Like To illustrate what happens without an anchor, one time we had this staff party up in Canada again. We had 15 people loaded on the 10-passenger boat, and we, we went out to Lizard Point, this little point that sticks out in Queen Charlotte Strait, to cook dinner for our staff and in, engage in a night of, uh, of joyousness, and the sun is going down over the coast mountains. It's gorgeous, and, and we pulled the boat in. Someone said, hey, do we need an anchor? And I'm like, no, we're good. We'll be fine. I, we ran a rope. You know, like a six-ounce rope, 30 feet up the beach. I'm like, what could possibly happen? We'll be fine. And I get busy cooking dinner, caring for one another. And everyone's like, hey, the boat is going out Queen Charlotte Strait. Like, without an anchor. This is what boats do. The current caught it. The tide was coming up. You get the point. And a guy had to, like, strip down, swim out. It ended up being this great adventure. We need an anchor. Like, oh, no, I know. I get that. Now Jesus is my anchor. But no, no, we need a center point for our life. That we won't drift too far. And that happens, friends, in community. It happens in fellowship one to another. Where we understand the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And it's lived out in fellowship. That the participation in God's story through those that have seen him. And then 1 John goes on to say that God is light. If you know Jesus, you walk in light. There's these really almost aphorisms that become cliche. Walk in light, walk in love. It, it sounds cliche. What do, what do I do with that? Well, the, let me look at First John 4, 7 with you. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. To which all the, the, in the dichotomy of love versus obedience, all the love people are like, yes! Can we just talk about First John 4, 7? Just love, and love covers all, and then we don't need to worry about obedience, or commands, or lifestyle. Just, it's about love. Just focus on love. Like, it's good. But then you read First John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them because they're in fellowship. They've got a a tribe with them. We know that we're children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we might know him who is true. And we're in him who is true by being in the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God, the eternal life. He's the compass, the true north. And the dichotomy between love and obedience, somehow Jesus is both. He's fully loved, and yet calls us to walk in his commands. He, he teaches us that our life lifestyle matters as much as the stuff that we think about. And I was having this conversation with a friend of mine at the junction. We were talking about love and the, the, the no rules aspect of like, let's just not worry about things, let's just love people well. And... At the junction where we're ministering to people caught in the throngs of addiction, you see life without restraint as destructive. You see people that have had too much permission to themselves or to others to engage in harmful practice, how it it destroys lives. And so this friend, he's he's from the streets, and so he gets it. He's like, no, I I get that we need to be like both love and obedience. I get that. I was kind of like trying out my sermon on him a little bit. He's like, how about this? Like, how can you say that God loves me if he'll remove his blessing from me if I don't choose him? That doesn't seem like love at all. That's a good question because, friends, the question is always good. We don't have to be scared of the question because we have a compass that can lead us through the question. We have a compass that can give us answers. So when people say, don't ask the question, it's not helpful at all we actually are engaged in alpha to bring people far from christ closer to christ how through questions what questions do you have let's meet and have dinner and talk about it honor the question so i'm um, honoring the question he's like that doesn't feel like love this god who remove his blessing if i don't choose him and i said let me break it down like this i've got four kids a fifth in heaven but of these four kids here on earth like i've provided from them I brought them home from a hospital I, I, I was a participant in helping care for them second fiddle to my wife who cared for them primarily but i was there every moment we we cared for them had we left them in the woods they wouldn't have made it like they would not have survived without me but now as they age and get older they have a choice will they choose to respond to my love or not the choice is theirs but there are commands that will follow I won't let them drive before they've actually learned how to drive because this vehicle of freedom can kill them. I won't let them have unrestricted access to, to certain medications because I've seen over and over how that th- stuff can, can kill. Like there will be parameters to my love. Does that make sense? And he, the light went off. He said, oh, I understand that. God's not damning me if I don't choose him. But in the love versus obedience, it's both. I said, yes. Like a compass. And he said, what? I'm like, oh, you'll have to come Sunday. But that's a... So this is 1 John. It's the vision. Let's look at 2 John. And 2 John is where we get into the instruction of uh, how to walk in love. It's half the exhortation. We're going to walk in love and love leading to more fellowship. Look at 2 John verses 1 through 6. The elder to the lady chosen by God and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also who know the truth. Uh, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever and this is where more practical people encounter john it can at times be frustrating truth 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 i don't even know what he means let me just clarify to the lady chosen by god uh, john is writing to the church most likely scholars say maybe ephesus the church in ephesus But lady was a euphemism for a group of people all following god so to the lady chosen by god you know the truth because the truth which lives in us be with us forever Man, that sounds like a love camp. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, who will be with us in truth and love. It's given me great joy, says John, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady and dear church, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And again, he builds on that same theme from 1 John, that love looks like fellowship, that we hold each other accountable, that we love each other even when we screw up, but we we tell each other, hey, you screwed up. We need each other to hold each other up through weak times. In verse 6, and this is love, says John, and colon, you're like, all right, I want to know, what does the Bible say about love? This is love. We walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Now that's interesting. There's obviously a lot there. But John says walking in love looks like following his commands. Walking in love, like this is what belief looks like. This is what right formation looks like, that we're on a journey. Now a lot of times at Bethany we talk about, you know, take the next step and walk. And we have to be careful that we're not teaching a theology that somehow you're earning more of God's love the further you walk into the faith. It's not true. Because when we accept Jesus Christ, we're, 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 we're freed from, from our slavery and we're fully formed disciples. But we are called to be on a journey. We are called to be on a trajectory. We are called to understand that our relationship with Christ is more dynamic than static. And what do I mean by that? Well, dynamic relationships are, are aware that there's external forces that are, that are pressuring them. Dynamic relationships understand that without care and attention that relationships can wither and fall away. Static relationships, man, nothing's ever going to change. You know, this thing happened and nothing ever changes and it's exactly the same forever. A lot of people I know right now are struggling in marriage. And the challenge to them is for them, they look at it like a static deal. Like I got married then and I'm married forever and it's all good and it's fine. And my encouragement is friends, your marriage is very dynamic. How are you building into your spouse? How are you dying to yourself? How are you apologizing and confessing and seeking to grow together? And and though we're fully formed into the static nature of we are set free from our sin into relationship with Jesus Christ, the dynamic side of the faith is constantly calling us to be on a journey, or as John says, to walk in love. That to walk in the truth. That we go for a walk as we seek to know more of who Jesus is. And that's helpful for those of us, in the room because many of us, you know, anyone, raise your hand, anyone been on a hike this summer? Anyone? Okay, there's seven of you. The rest of you need to probably hike here before the rains come. I'm just telling you, it's going to start raining soon. But for those seven of us that have been on a hike this summer, you know that you got to go somewhere. You get out of your car, you got your water, you got your pack, you got your map. But until you go, you won't actually have arrived anywhere. And so John says, you are, you are loved by God, but this is what love looks like. It's obeying the commands. How do I obey commands? I walk in love. And every single day I get the opportunity to say, Jesus, how do I be more like you today with this issue facing me? Oh, man, do we need to speak up about race? And let's talk about Charlottesville, but let's talk about Seattle. Let's talk about Charlotte. Let's do it. But let's first say the lens that I look at race with is through the lens of Jesus Christ. Should we look at homelessness? Should we look at, at licentiousness? Should we look at, you know, a, a culture that's gone away from the Bible? We'll look at it all. But first, we'll look at Jesus. And as John says, this is what love looks like, is obedience to the command. There's a right context for the relationships. Are we going to be a love church? Or are we going to be an obedience church? And friends, my answer would be, let's be a Jesus church. Must let be fully loving to those on the margins because that's who Jesus was. He, he, he was encountering people that had no right to be encountered and he saw them as they were. He gave them status as, as humans. And then he also named sin when it was destroying their life and said, follow me. Like just this full love, full permission thing is not, is not serving you. Follow me and obey my commands, and in that you will experience the light of the world. You'll experience me, says Jesus, because love needs the right context. My four-year-old has decided he's going to get married soon. This is very exciting as a father, because you raise these kids, and you want them to make good decisions, and so um, it's it's super exciting, but he's four, and his to-be wife is 12. She's the friend of my daughter, and... So, um, and he's decided, he he has enough forethought to know that today's not the right day, but he's decided to be when he's 15. You know, so he's just like, he's naming it, and, you know, and so we get to say, that's actually not appropriate. You don't actually get to be married when you're 15. You have to actually be able to vote first. Like, we are excited at someday, if you want to choose to be married to someone else, but love has some parameters, son. You'll need to grow up. You'll need to obey commands. You'll need to have the blessing of your family and her family, and you may not choose to marry, because marrying is not to, to become complete. Marrying is to find someone else, but you are fully complete in the eyes of Jesus by yourself, to which all the single people said, "Amen." So he's four, and we're having these conversations that love needs context. When so when people are saying, "You know, I just wish the church was more loving, more loving, me too." Because it's our fellowship that will define us. And as we're in fellowship with one another, we can say, love obeys commands. And marriages need to stay together. And the way that you do singleness matters a great deal. And holiness is not a a foreign word that you should be scared of, but there's there's a goodness for making good decisions. And the word of God is meant to live in your life. When you open it and read the scriptures. Love and obedience through our compass, Jesus Christ. So 2 John talks about walking in love. And then 3 John gives us this exhortation. The other half of the exhortation. The other half of the coin. Because it is a false dichotomy between love and obedience. We're, we're really trying to be a Jesus church. Third John talks about walking in the truth. Look at me. Uh, Third John verses 2, 3, and 4. To my friend Gaius, whom I love in truth, uh, Gaius was probably, he is a man, probably the leader of the church spoken to in Second John. So this is kind of a follow-up. To my friend Gaius, verse 2, dear friend of Third John, I pray you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. There's this thing about, yeah, we're fully formed when we say yes to Jesus, but Jesus delights in how we participate in his mission, how we participate in the walking of the faith, in the growing of understanding more of his love and loving other people well and calling them to obey the commands, or else unfiltered love can just destroy them. John says, you walked in, and it brings me great joy. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Our our job then, according to John, is to cling to this light of life, which is Jesus, and to walk in truth, and to walk in love. Look at verse 11, 12, 13, 14. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face. It says, as you walk in love, it will it'll take up residence in you. And it'll shape the way that you care about issues in our society. It'll shape the way that you read your Facebook newsfeed. It'll shape when you step over the homeless man with your $5 latte. it will say, hey, something doesn't feel right here. It will have you engage with issues of the environment because in 10 years, that's the next battlefront that the church will engage when a gallon of water costs more than a gallon of gas. We're not even talking about the environment yet. Every generation has the issue and and people are like, you're either with us or against us and we want to know right now, are you going to be a love church or are you going to be an obedience church? And somehow this church for 100 years has been a Jesus church. And that's not me, that's not even Pastor Richard, it's not Pastor John B. Form, it's that, that the Spirit of God has infused with this, this organization, this focus, this hyper-focus. 100 years ago, started as an outreach to needy Native Americans in Ballard, and then up to the Green Lake neighborhood, where some young families were courageous enough to put their own homes on the line, because they so believed in what the Spirit of God wanted to do. To the move to, to five different locations where, where someone crazy enough would sell their business in Canada and say, I'm going to give my life to building the church. Because if the church doesn't matter, Jesus Christ mourns the loss. Because he gave us the church to be his representative here on earth. Amen? We are called to be testifying to Jesus Christ in each and every decision we make. And that each and every day we have an opportunity to be more like Jesus. Yes, engaged in whatever truth you think is most passionate for us to engage. But all of it comes second to who Jesus is. And who he's calling us to be. And love and obedience aren't these mutually exclusive ideas. They exist in the person of Christ. The heart of the message from 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. God is light. Receive it. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you are, you are in the light of Jesus Christ, friends, I, I just need to implore you, stop and, and get with somebody who loves Jesus and say, I want to just start at the beginning. I want to have my heart turned over to Jesus Christ. God is light. Receive it. God is love. Walk in it. And how? We'll obey his commands. Well, Jesus loved enemies, so you should love enemies. Jesus broke down social walls rather than building them. You should do the same. Jesus forgave people who sinned, but he always called out the sin. Because leaving people in their sin is like stepping over them when they have a needle in their arm and saying, Well, I'm just going to love them. Now, people in our community are dying. So love them and call out the sin. And that we might be a hyper-focused group of Democrats and Republicans in this very room. Caring about different issues, all of them secondary to Jesus Christ. And that is our distinctive. That is our witness. That is our fellowship. That's why we gather. Why do we need church anyway? What is it? Because it's our compass. And as we gather together in fellowship, I understand people that look at the world differently, that we can align under one true north, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we walk, and we obey, and we love. And all the while asking Jesus to change us because every day we need more of his love to shape our lives. We were just out with our Bethany small group. For over 10 years we've done life with these people. Some of you old timers know the Niskanens. They have a little farmhouse out by Forks. And so a bunch of families rolled out there and we drove home late last night so we could be with you here this morning. You're probably picking up a strong guilt trip this morning. That's okay, but sometimes it's gonna lay it on. We drove home late last night to be with you here this morning, and I'm glad to be with you here this morning. Yes, I am. But we're out there, you know. We're by the Bogushee River, and I've got this seven-year-old girl, and she's a little spitfire. Some of you know my seven-year-old girl. And she's like, I want to go down the river. All the big kids are down there. I'm gonna get left out, and I'm like, you know, she shouting. me. I'm like, honey, you're gonna go with me because I'm your father. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in love, but you're gonna obey my commands. And this was not going well. So then she ran down to the river, you know, and. And she's, you know, she's fiercely independent. And you look at the Hill River and it's low for the summer and it looks pretty harmless. She says, I want to go. I said, sweetie, I, I want to help you. She says, I don't need your help. I said, babe, I want you to put on a life jacket. I don't need the life jacket. It's fine. Said, she says, oh, you know, she puts the life jacket on, she steps down, she steps in the river and says, I don't need your help. And I said, Yeah, but I'm gonna walk with you. So I hold her hand and we step into. Our ankles, and the river is rushing, and the rocks are a little slimier than she anticipated. And it's a little bit colder, and it's a little bit faster moving. And now all of her courage, and I don't need you, It's starting to dissipate a little bit. And now we're up to my knees, up to her thighs. Now we're up to my thighs, up to her waist. And she slips, and I hold her. And I don't mean to paint this like Jason Bourne, like we're going to die here. But it helps if you, yeah, it's a pretty dramatic scene. You know, everything's, everything's dramatic in the life of your pastor. But, you know, we're making our way across the Bogus River. She's like, I just want to get down to where those kids are swimming. All right, you know. And I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to walk with you. And we're walking through the water. And it's actually, we're slipping and sliding. And, and she has her life jacket. And now she's, she's clinging to my hand even tighter. And we're continuing to move through the water. And I say this, friends, the water is always deeper and more dangerous than you anticipate. You're in the waters of marriage this morning, and it it feels harder than you thought it would be. Or you're in the waters of trying to date well or trying to figure out your future. And you're in the waters, and there's not clarity, and you thought you would be fine on your own. And oftentimes, you can feel like you're slipping away. And so we're in the Bogus Shield River. She's up to her, her, her chest now. I'm up to my waist, and we're just making our way across. And we slowly get to the far side of, of safety. And she turns to me, and she says this. These words have stayed with me all weekend long. She says, I wouldn't have made it if not for your hand. I wouldn't have made it if not for your hand. And for her to say that, it's like, it's a big deal. <laughs> Friends you would not have made it if not for his hand. Your marriage would not have made it, okay? You would not have made it through that depression last winter. You would not have made it through your mom's illness. You would not, you would not have made it. My friend, I want to encourage you this morning to cling to the hand that's clinging onto you and every one of us in the room we're facing a different issue. Some of us right now we're torn up by what's going on around the world. Some of us go torn up by what 's going on in our hearts, some of us torn up about relationships we're torn up we're just fighting for hope. but I want you to be anchored in the reality that your God sent His Son Jesus to come and live a perfect life and to be put to death and to, to come alive and to ascend where He waits for us still. and all the while he's saying, i 'm here." Holding your hand. So hold on and continue to engage the issues of the day between this false dichotomy of love and obedience. Jesus says, I'm right here in the middle with you. We're going to make it through. Continue to be a Jesus church and we'll make it through the challenge of the day. Would you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for the reminders of your hand for us, with us, leading us through the waters of instability leading us through the waters of depression, leading us through the waters of marital dissatisfaction, leading us through aging parents or or kids that we're worried about, for uncertainty for school starting soon and all the fatigue and fear that brings, Lord, uncertainty with what we're doing with our lives and what we'll do next. Lord Jesus, would you align us as men and women under the certainty of your hand, Would you be just with us and put us in that seat as the 11-year-old staring at that compass, feeling like everything is uncertain? Could we just be reminded in that scene that you're the father right behind and the compass before us? You're both with us where we've been and with us to where we're going. And you have us on this journey, Lord, this trajectory, this walk. Of love and obedience it's it's a mystery somehow lord though you're calling us to deeper fellowship with one another and a proclamation in this community that yeah we'll talk about the issue of the day but what we really want to talk about first is you jesus what we really want to talk about with our friends at school is you jesus What we really want to talk about when we look at our city and and all the issues facing us is you, Jesus. Would you make this church sing your praises, align under your truths, obey your commands, and love triumphantly from that place, actively engaged in all that the world needs us to be engaged with, but from our one platform of unity, from you. Lord Jesus, we're grateful, we're thankful this morning. We, we cling to your hand, mindful that without your hand, we'd, we'd be gone already. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. As we close in song, uh, I just want to encourage you that uh, we have prayer team people that want to pray with you. I know many times we feel like we just kind of are frozen in our own seats, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you this morning. I know there's people in this room that need the hand of Jesus Christ. Would you feel his hand reaching out to you this morning? In your loneliness and in your instability and in your uncertainty, may you feel the hand of your Savior reaching you and touching you, cling to that. It's our one hope, our one witness. It's our shared life together. We stand with us as we close in song?